You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good, thanks. I, I, I'm sorry. I've had a really busy week, and I was I was in San Francisco late last night, and I, I meant to listen to more of your podcast. I was very pleased to see you have an app. That's fantastic that you have an app, um, you know, as well as the podcast, that you can actually listen to them on your own app. That seems very uh, forward-thinking. Thanks. Yeah, trying to make it easiest for folks to be able to find it and hear it. Yeah, well, I think that it's really, you know, we're, we're quite involved in tech. My wife works for a st- startup and we live on the edge of Silicon Valley in Santa Cruz. And um, I think apps are kind of the way to go. You know, like I, I'm keen eventually to turn my blog into an app because apps just seem to engage people more. And um, I find myself like, you know, less and less at, at, at my Mac and more doing stuff on my phone or I, iPad. And I, I like being involved with apps. The podcast kind of helps fit that geekiness for me because I like the movie part of it, but I also like the tech part of it. So actually making the files and right. updating the RSS feed and all that is like, I kind of get off on that stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, obviously have uh, spent much of my life with with movies but living here you know we moved to northern california and living here i'm much more involved in tech and i'm actually i must confess kind of more excited by tech at the moment than i am by movies partly because i think movies you know you, you mentioned you were looking at a lot of 70s movies and i think that was a fantastic time for american cinema and world cinema um, but movies now are just not that inspiring. You know, we have two young children, and I think the kids' movies are actually much better most of the time than the adult movies. And if you watch TV, you know, I mean, it's obviously a subject of huge, um, I don't know about even debate, just huge media attention. But if you watch TV and shows like Breaking Bad or The Wire or, or I don't know, House of Cards, they're so much more adult and intelligent than most of the movies that get released. Um, it, you know, there aren't that many movies when I see the trailers that I really think, oh, wow, I've really got to go and see that. It's, uh, yeah, it used to be once every week I would, you know, have to choose which movie I wanted to go see. And now it's just like, eh, I can wait yeah. or well, I, yeah, I, nothing this week. I started off as a film journalist originally, and, and I, you know, I, I would see literally probably 20 or 30 films a week. I, I would be going to see, I, I, would, I mean, on a really busy day, I might be seeing four movies. I might see a movie in the morning, a movie early afternoon, a movie late afternoon, and then a movie in the evening. So it was, oh, and I go to film festivals, which were even more insane. So I saw a lot of movies, you know, over a period of time. I was I was kind of really um, addicted to movies and, and lived movies and, and you know, hopefully learned a lot from that. But um, I can't kind of imagine doing that now. Although I do, I am aware that there's a huge amount of world cinema, which living in America, unfortunately, is really hard to gain access to. You know, there's a limited amount that gets released. Well, very little gets released here, but you can find some 
come on Netflix or whatever or various online, you know, YouTube even. But um, there's so much cinema that I'm sure is wonderful. And I just don't go to enough film festivals having children. It's you know, more difficult, um, young children. And I just really feel that I, I'm sure there's lots of, of work out there that I would love to see that I'm not seeing. But um, on the other hand, you know, I, I, I lost my first son to cancer and I adore my children. And I kind of I kind of judge movies these days by, you know, the time I'm spending in the movie could be time I'm spending with my children. So <laughs> that's kind of my criterion for, uh, for judging whether I want to see a movie, which is actually a pretty tough criterion to me. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, we all went to see um, our, um, in, oh God, what's the Pixar movie Inside Out. Uh, yeah, and 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 that was like interesting because it was a really intelligent movie and was you know also a kids movie and and that was kind of fun and also I know one of the writers on it who I worked with she was actually producing for Jodie Foster when Meg Lafoe um, is one of the writers on that and she she was producing the Jodie Foster film I worked on which also had a kind of psychological um, aspect because Jodie Foster was going to play a schizophrenic but it was interesting you know to see a movie about the you know various emotions in your head i thought it was a really pretty clever movie actually i i don't know if you've seen it but uh, i haven't but i hear that it's great and i've been wanting to go see it the amazing thing is you know it's i believe it's the second biggest I, i'm not sure about the overall box office but i know that the opening weekend was the second biggest opening for an animated film ever it's definitely pixar's biggest film ever you know, we're big Pixar fans. We've toured the studios. Wally for me is is there. You know, my son was I think four when Wally came out, and when Wally defined life for him in the same way that my daughter, who's younger, I think Frozen has defined life for her. That you know, it, it's interesting how you kind of find a myth that that you then use to shape the world. But I think Wally helped shape the world for my son. And uh, I, and I think Inside Out is a great film. I, th- I think personally, the Wall-E is the best film they've ever made. But um, that's that's a personal, a personal thing. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, Inside Out is is probably way more intelligent than most adult films. You know, a lot of the comedies and stuff. I love I love comedies. You know, I love. Good, I, I mean, I have no problem you know with Judd Apatow and people like that. I think are fantastic. But even they don't seem to get as much um, these days as they used to. And also when he's when he's tried more, I don't know about experimental, but you know when he tried uh, Funny People, which I actually I liked, but I think I was in a very small club. But you know when he's tried something a little bit more serious, it hasn't really worked at the box office. But I think he's a really good filmmaker, Judd Apatow. Yeah, the thing I like about Wally is just how long that movie goes without a single word of dialogue. Oh my god! Yeah, well you know if you watch the making of, um, I think it's in the making of. They spend, well, I think Pixar in general spend about a year usually just letting a project just state. But they spend about a year watching uh, Charlie Chaplin and, and Buster Keaton. And in fact, it's funny because I recently read there's a really good uh, biography of Charlie Chaplin, which my wife happened to get at the library. Um, it just it was newly released and it was on some sort of, you know, your lucky day pile of the latest release. Um, and she got it for me. And. I actually, it's years since I've read anything much about silent movies or or Chaplin, but it was fascinating having read that. And then I was looking at some Chaplin films online. I noticed then when I was watching a bit of Wally with my son, because he he often watches, you know, bits of it or the whole film. 
And I just noticed that there were some gestures that Wally does, which are pure Chaplin. And it's amazing that they got the robot to do pure, you know, just, uh, I, I can't think there was one in particular. I think it was a shrug. It was a shrug. And it was just the, sh- the kind of shrug that Chaplin would do. You know, the fact that they got the whole thing to work, you know, the, the love affair between two robots, the fact it's virtually a silent movie. I mean, it's just incredible. And it's, it's and also all the nods to 2001, you know, are pretty amazing. And, and I think they, it's just a really amazing film. It's, it's great. I'm interested in what's called haptic reality, which is where you would have some kind of, I guess you'd be wearing some kind of a suit, although it would be great if they could do it without that, but where you could actually feel what your avatar or the character is feeling, you know, I mean, that could obviously be weird if you're in a sword fight and you actually feel the blows and feel <laughs> feel what it's like to be stabbed. But I think that immersive virtual reality entertainment will be an entirely new medium because the grammar will have to be different. You know, you won't be able to, well, maybe you will eventually, but cinema is, you know, the, the excitement of cinema is, is largely from the cutting or, or, or certainly cutting uh, creates a huge amount of the excitement and then and the camera moves and you know jump cuts and really frenetic fast cutting i don't think will work in virtual reality in the same way and if you're immersed in the situation you would just get motion sickness or giddy um you know if, if you were literally being plunged from one world to another from one scene to another um it would be a very different experience so i'm, I'm interested deeply interested to see how that develops and i hope i can be involved in in developing that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, there's a couple of companies I'm following who are very um, involved. Occipital is one company who created an app called 360 Panorama, which allows you to take a picture entirely around you, like up, down, all around you, and then use, when you view the picture, you can use the accelerometer or the gyroscope on your phone or iPad or whatever device, and you can tilt it, and you can actually see the ceiling and the floor or the grass and the sky. And they then did a, they've got a new app called Structure Sensor, which is kind of, works with an iPad and is is kind of photographing in 3D I'm probably explaining it badly, but almost like a CT scan. It's like creating a real 3D record of the world around it. And that that can be hooked up to virtual reality. I think that can be hooked up to an Oculus Rift headset. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm really fascinated by where that's all going. I think it's, you know, I think it's a very exciting time. And my son is 11 and he just turned 11 last week, but he taught himself coding and he's already designing his own games. And I'm learning through him kind of game structure and and trying to kind of help him a little bit, you know, with classical character arcs and, 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 and three act structure, but also adapting that to games. Um, but he has really clear ideas of his own and doesn't really need my help. So I think I'm tagging along trying to learn more than I'm teaching anything to him. It's always so difficult when you talk to, especially when it comes to screenwriters, just because, so many projects don't get made or they change over time. You know, you mentioned the Kiefer Sutherland one, the Jodie Foster one. It sounds like you've been, like every other screenwriter, involved with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's an Angelina Jolie one as well. You know, I, I, one of the lessons of Hollywood was that I was, you know, very lucky in that I was commissioned and paid and hired by studios to work with Angelina Jolie one-on-one and Jodie Foster one-on-one. 
thinking initially that, oh, wow, you know, Jody, well, especially Angelina Jolie, I had the same manager as Angelina Jolie. And I was thinking, this must get made. You know, it, it, it was announced in Variety. It's like Angelina is really excited about it. And then there were budget issues. There were all kinds of issues. And, and you know, the problem now with those projects is that if my enthusiasm is still high for them and I wanted to try and set them up elsewhere with, you know, maybe different performers, they're so expensive, the turnaround on them. I think the turnaround on both the Angelina Jolie and the Jodie Foster is in the four to five million dollar range um, because of studio costs and costs associated with, you know, those actresses being attached and their production companies being attached and studio overhead and everything the studios like to pile on. So I learned, you know, that it was kind of like the same as the same frustration as England in the early days when the British film industry didn't have any funding. It wasn't that there wasn't any funding. It was that the studios don't necessarily make all the projects they're developing. And then, you know, the the uh, I think the writers' strike. I'm very pro union and pro guild, but the writers' strike made a big difference to Hollywood. And it came. I mean, actually, we we kind of you know the union timed it pretty well. The guild, right? America, the writers' guild timed it just before the complete collapse of the economy, because <laughs> the, the strike I think was late 2000. Seven early two thousand eight, and then the you know the, the recession really hit in two thousand eight. So the writers' strike was out of the way, and we we basically were fighting for residuals from streaming and downloads because we'd been screwed over DVDs. But then you know the recession happened, and then the studios, and then it wasn't just the recession; it was also then the you know the complete restructuring of of distribution patterns and the fact that dvds were essentially dying and downloads and streaming were coming you know the studios during the the writer's strike were saying there is no future in streaming you know there is no money will be made from streaming and downloads at the same time that's what they were saying to us and they were saying to their shareholders you know this is a billion dollar industry streaming and downloads are going to (laughs) be but but you know it's changed the nature of the business and the studios have essentially stopped a lot of the production deals they had with actors and actresses and stars. And also they've changed the kind of films they make. You know, they don't really, I mostly write what would be considered serious drama or thrillers. And even thrillers now, I mean, a good thriller is as close as most studios will get to serious drama. And, you know, I think you mentioned in one of your emails the conversation. I mean, I don't know whether a studio would make a film like the conversation anymore. It's so intelligent and smart and kind of edgy. I don't even know if a studio would make. You know, I love Michael Mann and I love um, the is it the Insider the the film with Russell Crowe the film about uh, you know the cigarette companies tobacco companies uh, i think that's a fantastic movie but i don't know whether that would be made in the way it is you know, it was made you know now it's like that's a pretty serious movie about a grown-up subject and essentially the studios want to make franchise movies with superheroes um and you know some of those are fine and and fun but they're not really you know when i go to the movie theater and see three or four previews for superhero movies i really find myself thinking well I could care less, quite honestly. You know, it's like I love the original Iron Man, but I haven't seen the Avengers, uh, and I'm sure Robert Downey Jr., whom I adore, is fantastic in it. But it, you know, it just didn't appeal to me. I, it didn't kind of make me think I have to get up off my seat and go and see this. 
So it's it's you know the, the industry has changed a lot, and I think that's changed. It's changed a lot for writers because of the nature of the films that the studios will make, you know, especially when it comes to the two hundred, three hundred million dollar movies, because there's only a handful of writers they will trust with those, which isn't surprising. You know, writers who have proved themselves able to do that, and um, obviously until you get the chance to do that, you can't prove yourself. But there aren't many chances to prove yourself on those, so it's it's a kind of vicious circle. So then there's the you know the lower end of the kind of lower budget comedy and horror, and then there's independence, which is where most of the action is. You know, if you look at the Oscars, pretty much every film up for an Oscar is in in some senses an independent movie. It might be distributed by a studio, but they're not really studio movies for the, for the main part. I don't want to keep you from boogie boarding, but I was <laughs> going to ask you one more question if you don't mind. Okay, well the boogie, the boogie board is cooling and the ocean is there, and I love the <laughs> the waves. This is the perfect time actually around. Oh, okay. Actually, not yet. About another thirty forty minutes, and then around kind of five fifteen five thirty is the, is the perfect time. But, uh, okay, I've got my granddaughter upstairs right. here <laughs> moving around, so I'm like, okay, I should probably get back up to her too. <laughs> But I did want to ask you, hopefully, what hopefully are you working not on? Locked the- in the attic, I hope. <laughs> no, no, she's not screaming and crying like that baby at the beach or anything. <laughs> <Right>. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. What do, what do you want to ask? I wanted to ask, what are you working on these days? Oh, um, well, I'm working on. I'm kind of I, I'm working on many things. I'm working on a novel which is is epic in the sense of of my life. In that I have been working on this novel for a huge number of years now in my life. Um, it's a novel I've obviously put aside and, and, and come come back to several times, but it's called Chinatown Nights, and it's set in 1919. And it's the only time I've ever tried to do something, period. And, and the whole idea of it is it isn't period. And this was before I'd ever heard of steampunk. I'd never heard of steampunk. This was started in 1996, to give you some idea of how how long I've been working on it. And, You're truly epic. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really do any work on it at all while I lived in Los Angeles, and we lived there for 14 years. I mean, that was one of the problems was that yeah, yeah, I just could not get into writing a book um, there, um, and was just too busy most of the time to write a book, quite honestly. But that is is based in part on real life characters who. It's set in London, although the, the actual protagonist is American because I wanted a kind of American noir feel. And the whole idea of it is that what I ideally want and dream of is something that's kind of like the Maltese Falcon meets Blade Runner, um, uh, but but weirder than that. Um, and the idea is that you know Blade Runner took the future and kind of went noir with it and, and set it so that it seemed like it was almost in the past. I was fascinated by these characters who ran illegal clubs. There's a, a, Ch- a Chinese character called Brilliant Chang, whose name I fell in love with. My wife's Chinese. I, I was interested in Chinese kind of subculture in London in 1919, which was a time of, you know, the Yellow Peril, the Fu Manchu novels of Sacked Roma and the films later in Hollywood. Um, huge racism. So I've got uh, a half Chinese woman who's running a club who's actually based on an English woman who ran an illegal club, which was a major center for gangsters. I've got brilliant Chang who was a restaurateur who owned the first kind of highly successful Chinese restaurant in London, but was also heavily involved in the cocaine trade in London. Uh, although when I started out writing about this, I thought it was going to be a lot about drugs. Now I don't really feel that that's particularly interesting to me. That I mean, that will be an element an element of the book, but it's certainly not the main element. Um, 
there are other characters drawn from the kind of tabloid press of the day. And then I had this whole thread of industry and espionage and kind of anachronistic technology. I was, I basically wanted to write in 1919, you know, post post first world war was a time of an explosion of technology. You know, there'd already been an explosion of technology around the turn of the century and there were, you know, electricity and telephones and electric lights and, and and all of that was changing things and and the automobile, obviously. Um, And I just wanted to write something that was, you know, the, the world, the the first world war changed things enormously, especially in Europe, Um, you know, really changed the social order. Although again, that's not really what interests me primarily either. Um, So I'm working on that. It's, it's kind of a book that has become this, this albatross in my life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that you know i i still am totally excited about it and still it i feel that books discover themselves and even after all these years and many outlines and i'm working on the book and you know i i had a publisher straight away double day commissioned it we actually got the rights back my agent got the rights back from double day so that we could control it completely um and I still feel that it's a process of discovery and it will either be a book that I hope will be extraordinary. You know, I mean, I, I wish I could write it. And I, I'm less interested in narrative now than I was um, maybe even 10 or maybe kind of about five years ago, but certainly I think partly tech has changed me. Like I, I, you know, the, the, the fact that I live by my iPhone and my, even less so actually my iPad, my iPhone is basically an extension of my brain. And I actually don't even like opening my Mac up that much anymore. I try and do everything I can mobile. Um, and you're living on the edge of Silicon Valley and having a lot of friends in tech and, and you're meeting people like Johnny I from Apple. And, um, you know, I, I, I now go to t- tech conferences and meet investors and stuff and talk to developers. And I, I'm interested, I guess, in short form entertainment, although not to the degree where that's where I want to put my main focus as a writer. And I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is that with a novel, I kind of want to somehow find a way of, of almost having short form entertainment in a long novel, (laughs) but I I want it, I want it to be totally arresting and kind of dynamic. Um, and also a voyage of discovery and it's a voyage of discovery for me. And, um, other than Blade Runner and Maltese Falcon, just to give myself impossible, impossible barriers to reach. The other book that is the biggest influence on it is, is um, The Grapes of Wrath, which I think is one of the most magnificent books ever written, um, in that Steinbeck actually addressed a kind of social issue and changed things with that book. Um, so if you want to you know, have, a, have those as guidelines and then maybe throw in you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and... A couple of other things. So it's probably going to be a complete failure. But that's one of the things I'm working on. But I'm also working on, um, I might be about to write another screenplay. Um, I'm working on tech projects, which are at varying stages. And, and I'm kind of more interested in, well, I'm really interested in finishing the novel eventually, if it takes me the rest of my life. <laughs> um, I'm working on more films. I would love to work in virtual reality, not so much at the gaming level. I would like to work in virtual reality um, on something that would be, you know, somewhere between a, a novel and a film that, that would be more complex than a film, perhaps, and complex, but maybe that, that they use things that novels can't do. You know, that actually made you kind of like a trip. <laughs> That's the only way I can explain it. But, you know, like, like you literally would be immersed in this story. And it it actually could be scary. I mean, if virtual reality really takes off 
and you have stories, you know, imagine horror movies made in virtual reality where stuff's happening all around you and you maybe can even feel some of it. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a medium, which I think is going to be completely different from cinema and very, very exciting and very complex and very hard work. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, exploring projects and, and seeing what I can do there with, you know, what, what, what abilities I have. Um, and also hugely enjoying life. You know, I, I'm a Buddhist. I really believe in the moment and, and, and trying to enjoy every single day, which is why I like going in the ocean and boogie boarding. You know, we, we're lucky enough to live by the ocean. I believe in enjoying it at every chance I can. Um, so I'm doing those things, but yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really interested in finishing the book and, you know, writing more films maybe, but also in tech, I, I would really like, um, to, develop a future in tech you know which is is uh, i guess i've fallen fallen in love with tech so um i, I yeah and i don't mean just develop an app i, I i'm not i'm not entirely sure what i mean when i say that I, I you know would like a future in tech and and that's maybe one of the problems but i guess you know the problem is that virtual reality is nowhere near where i want it to be at the moment it's you know it's getting there but even even when i first I think even maybe before that term, but when I first thought about, you know, what might be possible years ago in entertainment, you know, I, I used to think about how if you could combine movies with theme parks and have, have, I, I always loved, you know, the camera crane and the fact that you could sit in the crane with the camera and sweep down, you know, and, and, and do a shot and then sweep up again. And I always thought that if you could have the audience in a chair like that, they could, you know, like sweep down and sweep up and maybe shake at various moments in the movie, you would have an extraordinary experience. And that was long before virtual reality. Um, so I've always kind of thought, you know, I'd like to somehow create an experience that would be somewhere between maybe the world's greatest theme park ride the world's greatest novel and the world's greatest movie. Um, I'm probably not the person who's going to do it, but someone will at some point. And, and I, I hope that I'm around at least to enjoy it. 